today's episode. And it is unbelievable how it grows back. You know, you, you kind of think, right, this field, that's had it. And um, literally a month later, you know, it's it's starting to even up. And by the time you get to the kind of mid-season and, and harvest time, you, you'd walk through and you wouldn't you wouldn't have a clue. The beauty of the of the grazing is the minute the fields are ready and the drills ready and the seeds here, you batter on. And, and you, normally you wouldn't have done that because cause you'd be worried about crops being too forward going into winter, carrying too much disease. You've now got, it gives me that, that tool in my armory to handle forward crops. And I'm now kind of very much the belief it's a lot easier to handle a forward crop than it is to wish, wish on a late crop. Welcome to Cropcast. I am Tiffany Stevenson, and today we're joined by Ian Wilson, farm manager at Stracathro Estates, and Robin Walker, researcher and lecturer with SRUC in Aberdeen. I'm very excited to be talking to them today about winter grazing cereals. If you listen to the end, you'll hear an update from just now out in the field. Ian, Robin, thank you for joining us today. Robin, would you like to begin by introducing yourself? Hi, so I'm Robin Walker and I'm a researcher and lecturer based at SIUC's Crabston campus in Aberdeen. And Ian, would you like to introduce yourself? Yep, thank you. I'm Ian Wilson, farms manager at Stracathro Estates. We farm just about, well, about 4,000 acres just on the Aberdeenshire Angus border. Uh, the farm I'm on now is large-scale large renewables. We have sort of two-thirds of the farm goes into uh, an AD plant and the rest is combinable crops. I started here in March, but previous to that I was farm manager at Tullock Farms just outside Lawrencekirk, which is where I kind of five, six years ago started, started winter grazing and something I'll be carrying on at that's the capital. And Robin, what work have you been doing on winter graze cereals? Yeah, so the work that I've been involved in is part of a, an EU project called Mixed. Uh, so it's Mixed, the Efficient and Resilient Mixed Farming and Agroforestry. So there's a whole range of different um, projects involved across Europe. But the one that we're particularly involved in is is winter cereals and the grazing of those, particularly by sheep. Um, and that's been going on for the last three years. So we're just creeping into the fourth year of, the, of this program just now. And we've got a range of participatory farmers, and Ian's kindly um, been one of those the last year. Uh, but we've also got some smaller scale plot work based at our uh, Crapeston campus in Aberdeen. Very good. So, Ian, you started, you said, five, six years ago. What made you try it out for the first time? Like all good ideas, a discussion in a pub. Uh, basically, I was a, I'm, a, I'm a member and a director of Scottish Agronomy. Uh, I'm also a member of, of Quakers Oak Co Group, where there's a sort of group of leading oak growers involved in uh, sort of projects and research and trials to try and improve efficiency for both us, the farmer, and for the mill down in Cooper at Quaker Oaks. So what one of the problems we've been having over the over the few years was Quaker were getting really good results through their mill through spring. The main spring varieties, and in, in particular, a variety called Conway, it was getting a really good beta glucan levels, it was getting a really good mill throughput, but it was a spring oat. And as a farmer, we were getting better results of winter oats, we were getting better yields, earlier harvesting. Uh, so we were in a bit of a standoff, and, and one of the sort of suggestions was let, let's try 
Conway, which is spring oak drilled in the winter, see if we can bridge that gap uh, to try and get, get, if we as farmers can get early harvest and, and better yield and still get the same throughput. So I'm going to leave it around the doors here, but that was kind of the, the, the reason we went to grazing, because the first year that we grew this crop, uh, the sort of five or six farmers, it was pretty average, if I'm honest, and all the guys further south, there was guys I was speaking to down the, the borders and Fife and that were all saying, yeah, I think, I think we I think we drilled it too late. Yeah, so I drilled it too early and they were talking about October, November drilling. Me up in, even in South Aberdeenshire, the thought of planning to drill in November was just a no-go. So I said, look, that's, that's going to rule me out. And so actually one of the other guys, David Aglin down in Fife said, you know, you ever thought about grazing it? He said, it's, you know, it's something that they do a lot in Ireland. Uh, it was something that, that people in the past had done. The minute I mentioned that, there was, I was amazed how many folk in the group that that knew of fathers and grandfathers that had done that. So with my agronomist, Greg Dawson at Scottish Agronomy, we thought, well, no harm in trying it. So we started quite small. We did half a, half a field of spring oats for a start. Uh, well, spring oats sown in the autumn. And, and actually drilled earlier. We were drilled the second week in August, which is probably 10 to 14 days earlier than we would have done normally. And Tried that for a start, got really good results. Second year, did another field of oats and rolled out a couple of fields a week, got even better results and kind of spiralled from there. And I think last year I grazed 500 acres of winter seed. So it's been quite a journey that you have been on from from your conversation yeah. back at the pub. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is rather. And it's, you know, it's kind of spiralled a wee bit in the, in the sheep front as well. The, the first year we did it, we had our own lambs. We, the, the farm I worked on had a had a hill hill unit at Moy, just just south of Inverness. And when I came up with this mad idea, the shepherd up there was only too happy to to facilitate and sent me down some black faced young lambs to, to to graze on for the winter. We we did the cereals and then, then graze on our silage ground. We quickly we did we did that for two years to be fair, but we quickly realised that this was going to be scalable and and be a, a real option for us. Doing it ourselves, our own labs just wasn't an option because we were having to pick the two or three fields that suited us with fences, and we don't have dogs or electric fencing or or the desire because we were all arable at that point. And I can tell you now, nothing annoys a, a tractor man more than spending his winter out in the rain chasing black-faced labs. So, so now we 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 do it all with with specialist sheep farmers, guys that are taking land out and about already. Uh, I'm always amazed how many how many sheep farmers come come at me each each summer and autumn wanting a, a piece of the grazing, but and I always end up with the same guy because you know the minute you talk about the the logistics that's required in terms of electric fencing, being able to move sheep, being able to be kind of available at any time. It's not just a case of oh well stick them on that field and I'll see you the day it suits me in three weeks time. You know they have to be kind of fairly adaptable to to the weather and to when that crops run out. So. You do. You need you need a sheep farmer that's that's that way inclined and got that mentality that, that they want to work with you. Yeah, there's definitely lots to think about. So we've mentioned about that you've been grazing oats and uh, the wheat. Robin, what sort of crops have you been looking at in the trials? Yeah, it's well in t- in terms of the the, the smaller plot trials that we've got we've used winter wheat and we've used winter barley so we started off with a winter barley crop uh, the following year we had winter wheat crops so we had two small experiments kind of um, replicated over time um, and then this current year we've had two winter barley uh, 
trials in the in the same field, adjacent field. So we've had three years consecutive on the same plots, two years consecutive on the same plots, and then we've got a, a winter wheat uh, experiment as well. Um, so yeah, so that's what we've got going on there. In terms of some of the participatory farmers, um, we've also got um there's winter oats as well is one of the the crops and one of the the guys up not not too far from Crabston had a very very forward winter oat crop and he was he was at a meeting that Ian was actually at as well um and he was taken in by the the idea and and he's basically grazed that off um so we'll hopefully be getting some results out uh, from that well we've got some from during the season in terms of things like disease levels and weed pressure and things like that but we'll get a bit more information in terms of kind of the yield etc um when that's when that's in so ian how quickly um after sowing do you introduce the sheep depends the crop depends the year uh i mean we've we've tried this we've we've grazed we, we made during the winter wheat we have grazed winter barley we've grazed winter oats we've actually grazed obviously rape as well uh, oil scrape is an interesting one that, that really benefits the sheep farmer. I mean, that's a real high-value high, high value feed for the sheep. It's one of I'm a bit unsold on yet. I'm, I've got a bit more work to do in that. It's, it, uh, it definitely helps the rape. It's, it's tillers out. It controls it being too forward. But I think it's the only, only crop that I've seen actually affecting harvest date. The rape takes a bit longer to recover. Every other crop, you would never know you've grazed it by the harvest date. But... I mean, basically, depends on we're drilling, and, and I, it's interesting. I'm looking at the window here at, at, at our, our steading, and the drill's still sitting in the yard. Normally, I'd have been drilling for 10, 14 days by now. Uh, so I'd have had wheat through the ground and, and motoring by now. This year, we just haven't been able to get on the land. Uh, so that'll probably influence our grazing a wee bit this year. There won't be near as much this year, unless we get a real block, big block in, in the next, next week, because... For me, really, it's if you're if it's not drilled by the middle of September, it's not worth grazing. Uh, for me, it's all about getting stuff in early, getting established, getting it tillered, and getting a decent biomass, so that the sheep are on for long enough to give some benefits both to the crop and the crop being forward enough and well rooted enough that it can take the grazing, along with actually there being enough biomass there to be for the sheep to be on for long enough. Nothing annoys the, the boy that's grazing much. I mean. Put as a content, the guy that's grazing my my crops, he's paying me for the grazing. He's seen that as a, a valuable enough winter winter keep that he's paying me for it. So the flip side of that, I, I have to be fair to him, give him decent crops. If I send him on a field that's only going to be on for a week, it's hardly worth his time and hassle of actually going around and electric fencing it. So, so the past few years, we, we've tended to have a good two or three hundred acres drilled in August, which, you know, given the calendar dates, probably not going to happen this year. Uh, so that's going to delay things a little bit. Normally speaking, we would start grazing mid-October, mid to late October. Uh, and just we, the last two years we've run two mobs of 400. The way we work it is just fence a whole field and the whole mob goes on. We're not strip grazing, we're not paddock grazing. Purely, again, going back to the fact that the guy's paying me to rent it. I can't then put stipulations on him saying, right, I need it strip grazed or I need it this, I need that. We try to keep things simple. If it's a 10-acre field, the whole 400 goes on. If it's a 50-acre field, the 400 goes on. And they just we just vary the timing, depending on how long it takes them to bear it. Uh, and the reason we've worked 400 
Lab Bobs is the guy that does my grazing. His his float, he's got a, a large Stuart deck trailer that holds about 200 lambs. So we work 400 mobs, 400 lab mobs, so that it's two full loads of his trailer and he has to shift them. Uh, we try where possible to shift them, just with dogs, field to field, sort of blocks if we can, but as you'd imagine, it never always works like that. So every so often you'll have finished a block and need to move a couple of miles up the road and it's just not practical to, to run them on, on foot. So that's why we work 400 lab mobs. It just it just works quite well that way. And two mobs allows me to, block, to graze different blocks, but... Basically, they're, they're thrown on the first drilled field and they work their way around them until it's all gone. There's no real science behind it. It's just on until it's bare, on the next field, on until that's bare, on to the next field. And you usually try and have them all off kind of mid, mid to late January at the latest if we can. By that time, I'm, I've got them onto grass or I've got them onto cover crops or whatever else. But I different ways to look at it. So I, I speak to other guys that graze, graze seals and and they like to go as late as possible. Some guys I know are even into March and April because their view is the later you graze it, the, the less chance there is for disease to come back into the crop before it goes into spring growth. Whereas I personally prefer to see it rolled up, greened up, ready to go whenever spring arrives. This, there's lots to think about, but at the same time, I feel like you're making it as simple as possible. You keep mentioning that you're grazing it until the field's bare. How bare are you classing as bare? <laughs> Very. Like, regularly the shepherd that does a sheep phones me thinking he's wrecked the field. Not so much now because he's, he's kind of into my way of thinking and, and, and understands. And, and even now, five years on, it still amazes me how quick these crops recover from just... But a lot of my fields, if it's wet, they will look like a plough field. They will look like there's nothing left. Fair enough. So you, you kind of have to be quite brave when you're doing it as well then. Yeah, I think you, nobody will ever do it full the first year. I certainly didn't. And it's only through time that you get braver and braver and braver. And you find through time, the braver you get, the better results you get. Because I found anyway, the only way to get a completely even re-emergence and even crop right the way through is to completely bear it. Because if you take them off as soon as you see the odd bear bit, sheep actually won't graze it totally even they'll graze certain bits harder than others so until you they won't then move on to the bits they don't like as much until you've let them bear the first bit so you have to let them bear the whole lot otherwise they'll have bared some parts of the field not others and it'll take it'll look a bit uneven when it comes away again fair enough so robin is this kind of the idea that you're following when they're grazing the trials that you're trying to get it as bare as possible and when are you taking the sheep off on the trials as well yeah well the, the the small plot experiments we've got are all are pretty much kind of just mob graze. The, the the maximum they're on is for three days, so it's very very intensive grazing. Um, so I mean the the treatments that we had was zero graze control, and then one day, two days, or three days. And the first time we did it, as as Ian was just saying, it, it it's a bit of a, a shock to the system. So actually, after two days, we took them off because we thought we've wrecked it. <laughs> so, but as it happened, we didn't. We hadn't wrecked it. Um, it it literally is bare ground. It you know it's it's dark. It's it's it looks like soil. But of course, the the sheep will have kind of trampled in some of the plants a little bit, and and it is unbelievable how it grows back you know you, you kind of think right this field that's had it and um literally a month later you know it's it's starting to even up and by the time you get to the kind of mid-season and and harvest time you, you you'd walk through and you wouldn't you wouldn't have a clue 
um, you know, just just observing them. So yeah, it, it's it's a real big eye opener. And um, I guess one of the things we had um, a group of French farmers came over actually as part of this project and and we visited ian's farm in february i think it was this year and they were stunned how far um some of the fields have been grazed back but because ian grazes quite early there was a nice kind of timeline of of sheep that had just gone into some of his fields and other fields that had been grazed maybe a couple of months earlier and they were sold and, and actually some of them were on the phone to their neighbours saying, right, can you get some sheep on? So literally before they got on the plane back to France, they'd they'd um, they'd done that. So there's a couple couple of the farmers that actually will we'll get some information on how their their um their fields went. Um, but yeah, the, the, it, it was it was a real big eye opener and and got people kind of thinking and, and deciding they wanted to try it themselves, not just here in Scotland, but also I say this was kind of south of france sort of near the alps somewhere these guys were so yeah it's 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 a big a very big eye opener it's great to hear that um people elsewhere in the world are quite keen on um giving winter gray cereals a go robin so what are the benefits that are being seen in the sheep ian so obviously that's, that's less of an issue for me but you know having spoken to the sheep farmer and yeah, he's, he's not overly scientific because you're working with 400 lambs uh, times two, uh, so it's difficult to actually to drill down like it would be for, for Robin. But ultimately, the guy I'm working with is is a big a big store lamb finisher. He's aiming a lot of the lambs for the later market, and basically, rather than mopping up all his grass all winter, he he's finding that the the cereals are offering a far more nutritious, much better feed source all winter. Uh, you know, by that time of the year, his yows are needing all the grass he's got. So normally he'd be grazing all of the countryside, trying to pick up grass wherever he can. But the grass kind of shuts down and stops growing. So he's forever having to shift sheep to get fresh, fresh grazing. Whereas at least with the, with the cereals, you've got a real lush green, green crop. He's getting really good growth rates. His view is, it's, it, you're never going to finish lambs on cereals, purely because. To, to keep them at that, you need to shift them far quicker than I want them to shift them. Obviously, there's days where they're getting an absolute belly full of green, lush grazing, but then they're held on for that wee bit longer than, than would be if you were trying to finish labs. And also, given that it's a cereal crop, I'm not that keen on putting hoppers or whatever else on top of my crop. So, so he uses it. It suits him to be early half the winter. It allows him to put small store labs on, grow a frame, grow a lamb, so that come February time, he can take them home put them onto stubble neaps or hoppers or, or whatever he chooses to actually finish them but he's seeing huge savings because it's just that final push that he needs to finish them rather than having to feed them through all winter uh, so no he's he's seen a lot of benefits and ultimately he's, he's back five four or five years later I, I, four years I've been dealing with him and he's now paying me for for the benefits so he, he wouldn't be doing that unless he was unless he was seeing some interest in I think this year we're going to try going to try some yows on it as well uh, we've, we've been all lambs up till now this year we're going to try try tupping some yows just a small block of yows on, on it just to see see whether whether yows do as well as as, as lambs and, and we, you know everything is indicating we don't see why not seems to be good and nutritious so hopefully that will help flush these yows sort of pre and during tupping so 
I've actually got my own flock of 20 yows, and the last two years I've tucked my yows in winter seals, so I was the guinea pig on that one. It doesn't seem to have caused any issues, so yeah, we're, we're, we're going to try it purely because the farm I've now moved to is a lot more, uh, there's even less fences, and we're right at the side of the A90 dual carriageway, so there are a few fields that we need to graze that keeping lambs in is, is a worry, so it's going to be an awful lot easier keeping mule yows in than it is keeping blacky lambs in just to try it. So it's kind of a, we're going to try this as a as an alternative to have, having black face year lambs running about the A90 dual carriageway. <laughs> well, it'll be interesting to see if you do notice a difference with it being grazed by the ewes rather than the lambs. Robin, I'm sure you've got the scientific answers as to how nutritious the crops are to the sheep. Yeah, we've got we've got some information. I mean, it's been fa- fairly consistent across the years as well. So when we first got the set of data in terms of the forage analysis, we I mean we we actually looked at um, in the first well the first couple of years we've been looking at um, samples biomass and the quality of that biomass ranging from sort of like mid November through to sort of mid March. So we've got periodic you know we've got five or six different sampling points throughout that, and in the kind of November December we're, we're looking at sort of low 30% for the crude protein and it tails off a little bit once you kind of hit March and I guess the you know the, the crop starts to kind of motor away um, uh, we've also got things like the D values that they're, they're typically in the sort of mid uh, 80% to sort of low 90% and then the hay um, uh, the metabolizable energy is in the kind of sort of mid 13 to mid 14 range so it's it's quite good you know it's quite a good um quality forage that you're getting um and uh, so that was for winter wheat the winter barley and the winter oats are, are, are similar as well so that you know there's there's not a huge difference between the three different crops uh, that, that we've looked at so yeah in, in terms of that it's 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 pretty good actually and again across that whole sort of period when you might typically typically graze i know ian said he tends to kind of um, graze early some of the farms that we've used graze just before christmas so it's sort of early december and others are typically more sort of january maybe february and uh, some of the crop experiments that we'd done on the, the small plots they tended to be sort of like late february to march so we've got a range of times of when um you know this data was kind of coming from and it, it you know none of it is like Ooh, that's not so good it's all it's all pretty good or, or very good actually in terms of the, the, the quality aspects that's good that it is a quality feed source but you wouldn't be having a same farmer coming back time and time again if they weren't seeing the benefits to the sheep the the other thing i should probably say is what one of the the reasons we started looking at this was just that you know having these extreme weather events and there are people you know that we've had some really wet summers we've had some really dry summers and that's actually had an impact in terms of forage availability for some of the the livestock farmers so that was another reason why we started kind of looking this as looking at this as an alternative um feed source um you know in times of of need really so that that ties in quite nicely but it's great if you can get the double benefit of having some late grazing as well as then having a crop off the field as well i feel like it's a win-win situation ian you were saying you usually establish about mid-august and aren't willing to put livestock onto fields if um, they're sowing any later than mid-september was it 
Yeah, I mean, it's not so much not willing. You know, if, if we get to the get to the end of the grazing and the sheep farmer wants a bit more grazing, I'll graze later sown fields. It's just at that point, you tend to not be far enough on to either be much benefit or to the sheep or the crop. You know, kind of late September, October drilled cereals tend to be pretty thin and pretty close to deck and carrying low disease levels. So really that's your kind of standard sowing window and we don't need to graze it. One of the big advantages we're seeing from the grazing is that, I mean, I say this as, as, you know, as I said, I'm looking out at the yard and the drill and the cultivators and everything are sitting idle when they should have been going for a week. Uh, so maybe this year's slightly different, but in the, north, in the last couple of years, certainly, where we've had really good dry spells right through summer and through August, if you've got fields cleared and, and ready to go, historically we would have sat our hands until now, until now or sort of middle to end of next week. You know, normally before I started grazing, I wouldn't dream of start sowing wheat until the sort of 5th, 6th, 7th of, of September, really. Even that was, was early. Uh, so that the beauty of the of the grazing is the minute the fields are ready and the drills ready and the seeds here, you batter on and and you normally you wouldn't have done that because because you'd be worried about crops being too forward going into winter carrying too much disease. You've now got it gives me that that tool in my armory to handle forward crops and I'm now kind of very much the belief it's a lot easier to handle a forward crop than it is to wish wish on a late crop. Uh, you know, this this part of the world, perhaps further south, they don't have such these challenges. But in this part of the world, you know, when it comes wet, it can get really wet. Uh, we're probably a bit spoilt now where I am at Stracathro because I've got a lot of kit at my disposal. But where I was at Tulla, we didn't. We ran on a really tight budget. We were trying to, we were trying to drill 1,500 acres of winter seals with a three meter three meter drill, and it it was it was a challenge. You had to work long hours and and. The beauty of going that fortnight earlier, because the amount you could use the drill that early fortnight was probably three, four weeks at the other end, because days were longer, conditions were better. It's amazing the difference uh, psychologically it makes if the combine, uh, if the combine's going till 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night, so is the drill, because the drillman sees MDL still working, so he carries on. You get to September, October. The combine's not going. The drillman's the only one working. If everybody else knocked off at five, six o'clock, he thinks eight, nine, eight, nine o'clock's a fine late finish. So, you know, that two, three extra hours every day can make a big difference. So, that's kind of uh, that's kind of the big benefit to us is, is we can drill that bit earlier. It does sound like it'll make a big difference because I I do agree that when it does get wet, it just makes everything that bit more challenging. And maybe this has just been a bit of an anomaly year because August has been so wet, but usually in August you can get on quite easily. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, yeah, it's it's been challenging. We've had a pretty wet spell. It's been a few years since we've had this wet harvest, but equally, I'm kind of, the optimist in me is hoping that because we've had this wet spell, we're due a long, warm, dry spell at some point, surely. So, we'll hopefully when we do get going, these, these crops will get, uh, will get up and going, and we'll get, uh, we will still get some advantage. I don't think we'll have such forward crops as we have in the past. I mean, I'm not joking when I say I've had third week in August drilled wheat looking like a field of silage, and, and neighbours are commenting, "No, like grazing it, you'll need to mow it, bale it for silage." Just about. <laughs> It's uh, and I, on that note, I would say the other thing I, I found is you kind of flip the variety chart on its head. There's sort of varieties that your agronomist will tell you is 
is a, a suitable for early drilling and varieties that are not suitable for early drilling. If you're going to graze it, you want to go for the ones that are not suitable. The ones that okay. are the ones that are kind of your agronomist will tell you are suitable for early drilling. The reason for that, in most cases, is because they're such slow developers. They grow slowly. They they don't get up and away quite so quick. So in effect, drilling that that wee bit earlier because they're slower to get going mimics drilling that wee bit later. And that's probably a, a trait that some breeders have, have tried to breed into to cereals certain varieties to allow people to go earlier. For me, I'm looking for maximum biomass. I want as lush, as thick, as forward a crop as I can to actually make it, to get the benefit of the grazing because ultimately the longer the sheep are on, the more benefit they're doing. Uh, the for more forward and more advanced the crop is, the bigger the root systems, the more able it will be to withstand the grazing and crucially the quicker it will recover in the spring because for me it's all about having a an early an early sown root development below soil, but a late sown look above soil going into spring. So you've grazed off all that diseased foliage, you've got what looks like a late drilled October wheat going into spring, but below ground you've got that root system of an August drilled wheat. So as soon as I throw on my spring fertilizer, it just reacts like nothing on earth because it's got so many roots to absorb all that nitrogen. Uh, equally any nitrogen that's that's been there from the previous year, because I've got a much more developed, much deeper root system, it's harvesting all that nitrogen so that we don't get the same runoff. Again, I mean, this is all just in our heads, this is what we think, I've got no science to back this up, but I'm assuming that all that nitrogen that's in the soil would normally have run down the drains, now it's into a crop, a big lush green crop that goes through the sheet, recycles that nutrition, and the crop can get hold of it again in the spring when it needs it rather than it, had it been a October drilled crop with shallow rooting, a lot of that nitrogen would probably run run through the soil profile, in many cases into the drains, uh, and that's lost. Uh, so I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm not claiming any effects of, of increased nitrogen. I, I just think we're harvesting what's already there and making better use of it. And, and again, people tell me, do you think, people ask me, do you think that, do you think the grazing increases yield? Well, the answer is no, I don't think it does. I think it just holds what's already there. Nothing I'm doing is really increasing the yield. I've just sown an early crop that's really well established, really well tillered, great root system. The yield potential is already there. If I didn't graze it, disease, winter kill, various other factors would probably hurt hurt that potential. So all I'm trying to do to sheep is hold that potential that's already there. Yeah, that's that's really interesting way of looking at it. Um, but I, de I can definitely see having a good, strong root system is very beneficial. Do you make any changes to the seed rate? Because of the grazing, no. But because of the early sowing, yes. Okay. You know, I, I don't, I don't. The, the fact that grazing doesn't influence my seed rate, the fact that I'm drilling in August does. You know, whether I was grazing it or not grazing it, if I was drilling in August, I'm away, you know, I'm pro, I'm down away at sort of 180, 200 seeds per square metre, where once I'm into September, you're probably, first week in September, you're up to 225, 250, rising to closer to 300 as we get through September. So, yeah, I mean, I've seen me away down at 80, 90, 100 kilos a hectare seed rate. Because you're so early sowing, you've got that so much time for tillowing. And you don't want you, you want to let the crop do its own thing rather than giving it too thick. 
Uh, and also, you know that you've got the sheep, that if there's any dominant tillers, the sheep are going to control them and put it up and sort of almost reset them all back to the same level. So that's this kind of advantage we're seeing that it controls that dominant tiller, forces it to tiller further. A bit like, you know, most, most livestock farmers would, would graze young grass if it was sown in the autumn to force it to tiller. Well, we're doing much the same in the seedlings. Is that a significant saving in terms of your seed costs? Is it a significant saving? <laughs> to find a significant saving, I mean, when you look at it, when you look at, you know, two, three weeks later, I'm probably still 100 kilos a hectare more. And you think, Christ, that is a saving. But on the bigger picture, you're talking, yeah. you're talking pennies on the uh, on the gross margin of a, mm-hmm. a 10-ton wheat crop. Is it significant? I mean, every penny counts, I suppose, at the end of the day. So, yes, in that case, it's significant. Is it going to make or break your profitability? Probably not. Uh, but, you know, it's all saving. It's all, you know, it's... You're you're lowering the seed rate. You're less less required for high value for high value seed. So yeah, I suppose it's it's reducing reducing inputs. So uh, that along with a bit of a bit of a, I mean, to put it into to perspective, I think it was fourteen thousand pounds we took in sheep raising and revenue last year. Uh, so you know it's it's not that's now not an insignificant uh, income stream as well, given that we're given at the level we're, we're now holding eight hundred lambs for for half the winter. It's it's Plush yows on grass and whatever else, you know. It's so yeah. It's all it's all relative. It's you know on a on a farming operation this size, is a hundred kilos a hectare of seed going to make a big difference? It's not going to make a break, but it's it all helps. You know, it's all it's all reducing input, which is the name of the game, basically. And have the fertilizer rates stayed the same, or have you been able to decrease them slightly because you're using them very efficiently? Yeah, it's a it's a difficult one because it's unlike fer, unlike sort of bag fertilizer, it, it's it's really hard to gauge what's there, uh, and it, it's a difficult one. I think it's almost a, a kind of judgment call. You'll find some of the really lush crops that they've been on for longer. You definitely see an advantage. I have done trials, very sort of a field scale trials, but like again difficult to come up from a science point of view when I've, I've sort of split a field in four and then four different nitrogen rates and, and yeah I'm definitely I'm able as long as the sheep have been on for long enough I'm definitely able to reduce nitrogen a bit and I have seen crops where I've kept the nitrogen the same and I've gone into harvest and thought oh my god I should have slacked the nitrogen off here if I get a heavy rain shower at the wrong time I'm, I'm in trouble here uh, so yeah you're probably knocking 15 or 20 kilos of nitrogen off as sort of standard I have seen me drop it 30 or 40 kilos if it's a really lush crop that's, that's forward. Equally, I've seen crops where they've not been on for so long. I think, yeah, actually, that's, there's not much there, so I'll just knock 10 or 15 off. But, yeah, my, my standard, I mean, to give you a cut, my, my standard wheat would be sort of 200 kilos of nitrogen, uh, and I'll normally drop that to 175 to 180 if it's been a well-grazed forward forward crop. But, again, as I go back to my previous comment, is that the sheep or is that because they've actually harv- that crops harvested the left the residual nitrogen from last year put it through a sheep so it could get hold of it again in the spring so it's maybe still getting its full 200 it's just we'll be able to harvest the stuff from left over from last year rather than losing it so it's difficult for me to say what why and what but yeah that's kind of where we're at but ultimately yeah it's knocking a bit of money off 
our nitrogen pill, which again, a bit like this, a bit like the seed. It's not, it's not a massive amount, but it all helped. Robin, is there any work being done on looking at fertilizer rates after grazing cereals or any plan for the future? We've not done that ourselves, no. Um, and the project doesn't have that much longer to go. So within this project, no, but we'd certainly be interested in doing it if we could we could uh, get some money to, to do that and be able to, to look at that. And I'm sure some of the farmers who have been involved are keen to kind of tweak the agronomy to kind of reduce inputs, things like fertilizer and fungicides and this this kind of thing as well uh, in fact we'll know they are so um yeah so there could be work going on but um not necessarily as part of the mix project how about any work looking at disease in the crops after sheep yeah we've been doing so we've been monitoring uh, the farms and also the, the the small plot experiments we'd got and we hadn't really found a huge um difference um so there's in terms there's no negative effects but uh, occasionally you do see um that there is some suppression of disease so you know the sheep obviously never the way disease issue and it, it's, it's an issue um so yeah there's there's potentially a little bit of, of uh, an impact there um but i guess it depends on the year and a whole heap of other factors i mean most of the the crops that we've been dealing with have been getting fungicides anyway so that probably masks any obvious effect one story that we we had from a who is an organic farmer actually down in the borders had um some organic oats so obviously there was no fungicide on that and he actually used cattle to graze it and again there was a big sucking in of teeth and and uh, using cattle on it anyway it worked for him and he did say it, the disease had been suppressed in the in the area of the field that he'd, he'd grazed uh, over the winter i've got a caution caveat this with i'm using cleaner varieties the likes of x days and sundance etc you know so you know agronomically cleaner varieties better able to withstand resistance uh, but equally even though I'm, normally most farmers would, would accept if you're going to drill first so second half of august first half of september you're committing to a t0 fungicide uh, I, I'm, I'm still sticking to i don't there's not a single t0 fungicide goes on in this place uh, first fungicide is in a t1 and i think i'm getting away with that because of the grazing because that, that, that all these diseased leaves are getting stripped back and I'm not carrying high level disease into the into the spring so it can, it can, it can hold on till T1 where I think if I wasn't grazing and I was drilling in August I'd be nervous about not putting a T0 on so you're, you're cutting out a pass basically I just keep seeing benefit after benefit that you keep talking about Ian by the time you've managed to I mean, don't get me wrong there is, there is I have knackered a field before uh, and and you do have to, I think with wheat you get away with absolute murder. You can have as far on as wives you, you can have it as far on as you like and bear it as much as you like. Oats and winter barley you do have to be more careful. I I drill my wheat early to benefit the grazing. I drill my oats and winter barley at normal timing and if they're slightly farther forward I'll graze them. If they're not I won't. But you would want to graze, drill them earlier to benefit grazing because Oats and winter barley are slightly different in it. The growth point can come off the base a little bit if it's too far on. And if a sheep nip no, the growth point, that plant's knackered. Uh, so, so no, I have, I have pushed it and pushed it and pushed it. And, and I always said to the guy that does my grazing, we will have to knacker a field at some point to know where the boundaries are. 
uh, and we did. We we pushed a really really early drilled field of oats. It was you know it was sort of up to almost knee height. It was and it, I think it was so far on it was almost at the point of going into stem extension too early. So the growth point had come off the base. The sheep were able to nip it and. They didn't get it all. It was quite a, a patchy crop, and we ripped out half and left half. And yeah, I think that we'd probably knock two to three ton off the a hectare off off the yield. We left half because I was still still never really decided with me and the agronomist what the best approach was. Whether leaving that poorer crop to stand on its own two feet and just take what you get through to harvest, or whether you were better ripping out and putting spring oats in. Then the spring oats have to carry all the extra, have to carry the costs of that field winter oat crop. What is the best? What's the best? I'm not sure to be honest. Uh, I personally think the poorer crop, was, poorer winter oat crop, was probably still the better option. But but yeah, I would caveat all the benefits we've said to be careful. You can't wreck a crop. You know, it's with wheat. I'm not worried at all. Oats and winter barley, I'd be a bit more nervous. Uh, and also, I've got to caveat this with the fact that I'm on good land. I'm on good arable land. If you're on slightly more mixed land, I don't know, and I've, I've never done it on that. We've, we've in the five years we've been doing it, we've never had to take sheep off a field. That's one of the things people always ask me. Do you have a backup plan? And yeah, the first two years we always had a stubble field next door that we could run them onto if we had to, but we've never yet used it. No matter how wet it gets, and we've had some pretty wet, horrible, snowy, crappy winters, and we've never yet taken sheep off a field because they've knackered it, you know. So no matter how black, how much how wet it gets, they carry on. But I caveat that with we're in good arable land. If you were on slightly more marginal, slightly more mixed, slightly heavier, I can't comment on that because I've never had that experience. So you know, it's just something people have to try on their own their own farm and find out what works. Yeah, it sounds like a bit of trial and errors in order. It is. You need you need to try it and and honestly anyone that tries it, they always say they cannot believe the recovery ability of the cereal. But I mean, the one thing I would say, it's not a new principle. The amount of people, this used to be done generations ago, you know, as a matter of course. It was easier then probably because a lot more of the farms were mixed, had their own stock and had fences in a lot of the farms, which makes it a bit more challenging now. But the minute I speak to people of my generation and they all think this is an earth-shattering, completely new idea. You speak to people of my grandfather's generation, they all say, yeah, we used to do that years ago. Nothing new about this. The thing that's always surprised me is that anyone I speak to that's done it in the past, I've never yet come across somebody who can actually tell me why they stopped. Yeah, that's interesting. I remember about 15 years ago, um, I've worked for a farm that's um, got arable and livestock. And I remember a very forward crop and my dad went and put sheep onto the crop and the agronomist had absolute kittens going, it'll be a disaster. But it was so <laughs> forward, he just put them on anyway and it turned out fine. Fair enough, it was just kind of a light graze rather than a heavy graze. But yeah, you do wonder why they did stop when they were doing it so many generations ago. I think ultimately it probably comes down to the fact things got too easy. You know, farm farms specialised, there was less livestock and arable farms, less fences, and all of a sudden things came a lot. There was a while there you could fix any problem with a chemical can, and arable farmers probably thought, actually, why am I, why am I messing about with sheep? Let's just do it with a sprayer and a spray. And that was the easy option. Now we're facing a, a period where 
we don't have that chemical you know toolbox anymore that we used to and we need to find other alternatives and perhaps looking back to the older ways is, is maybe one of the solutions so at the very beginning Ian, you mentioned about quakers and that we're trying to see about planting and um, the spring varieties in the autumn has that been successful are quakers accepting your spring variety grown in the autumn that has been winter grazed yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, there's there's quite a chunk of growers now growing Conway. It got a bit of a setback last winter with the amount of like, the really cold winter. There was a lot of frost heave, something we didn't suffer from quite so much. And, and again, it's one of the un, unproven, uh, hard to prove benefits, but we do find that while people worry about the sheep poaching, we actually quite like that because they're not poaching it. They're just compacting the top couple of inches like you would with a set of rollers. So we're finding in, in, in challenging winters, we get less frost heave because the sheep have, have kind of consolidated around the roots. They're not going to compact it like you would with a tractor or a machine because that's going to be real deep compaction. The sheep are literally consolidating the top edge, which as soon as you put any cultivator through it, you never even notice. Uh, so yeah, we're, we're getting less frost heave and on the back of that, you know, there's, it is allowing us to grow we're about half our winter oats is now, is now winter Conway. Uh, which it's not quite yielding as much as a winter oat, but it's certainly yielding a lot better than a spring oat. So it's kind of a kind of halfway house, and it, so it gives us that yield boost and an earlier harvest, which lets us get in earlier with a following wheat. You know, it's just that that rotational benefit. So, Robin, what would your top tips be um, if somebody came and asked you about trying wintergreen cereals? Probably give it a go. I think just, you know, it goes as far as you're kind of prepared to and then you'll need to kind of trial and errors, you know, that that's the kind of approach you need to do. But I don't, I think don't be, don't be afraid, but, you know, just, just go within the kind of bounds of what you're comfortable with to start with and gradually you'll probably uh, really get into it and, and do it more and more. And Ian, what would your top tips be? My top tip would be, assuming it's wheat you're grazing, if you think it's time to take them off, go away for two or three days and then come back. <laughs> and, uh, mm-hmm. You know, do it with a field, wait and see, and I guarantee you'll do it again. Uh, but just just push it further and further and further, because I have. And yeah, there's fields where I've got to, I don't think we could have pushed it any further because it looked like there was nothing left. That's definitely good advice. It seems like you do have to be quite brave doing it, but with a bit of trial and error, you can test what the boundaries are. I think that, kind of contrary to what people would think, it's tougher to do in a dry year. In a, in a dry year, they'll get a lot deeper in the plant and it'll, it'll not look near as bad. People always tell me, oh, how do you manage in a wet year? It's easy in a wet year because they puddle in as much as they graze and it goes black quick and you take them off quick. Uh, in a dry year that's where you just have to be a bit more careful because they won't puddle the same and they will not be able to get grazed that a wee bit deeper so you just have to be a wee bit more careful if it's a real dry dry year uh, but on a wet year yeah crack on thank you robin and ian next up we have the update from the field hello my name is george chalmers and i'm a consultant with sec consulting This spring has been very challenging for farmers as they try and establish their spring crops. We're starting to see the sunshine 
and the soil warming up and we're now seeing more and more fields starting to brayer. The crops should start racing through the growth stages, hopefully, but unfortunately, that also means that the weeds will do the same. It now means that we need to start thinking about our weed control strategy. You need to really know what your problem weeds are. Is it grass weeds, broad-leaved weeds, or is it even wild oats? Remember, some weeds are more competitive than others. You have more upright weeds, such as wild oats or cleavers, that can cause real harvesting issues, and also potentially crop quality problems. And you've got other weeds at the other end of the spectrum that are quite prostrate in their nature, such as annual meadow grass, that can look pretty bad in the field, however, don't cause so much of a problem, certainly not in terms of crop yield. Ask yourself if you have a potential weed resistance problem. We're seeing more and more issues with, for instance, chickweed, not in herbicides struggling to control it. Maybe you need to start thinking about using a different chemical with a different mode of action. What are key considerations at this time of the year when it comes to weed control? Firstly, know your weeds. Match the herbicides and their rates to the weed spectrum on your farm. Secondly, do you have resistance issues on farm? If so, think about using herbicides with different modes of action. And finally, going early with spring weed control gives you the best chance of effective control and also reduces competition to the crop. Thank you for joining us today. And thank you to our speakers. Robin and Ian have been fantastic. If you have enjoyed this episode, make sure you look out for our October episode, where we're talking to organic farmer John Ski from East Mays of Octa House, talking about his organic journey, the oats that he grows, the potatoes he grows, as well as the challenges that he faces. Thank you for listening and we'll see you again next time. The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.